This morning we continue our sermon series as we walk in the footsteps of the apostles and the first witnesses to the resurrection. Next week we'll finish the series of Acts as we celebrate the witness, the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. But first we catch up with where we left off last Sunday, with Paul and Silas who are in Philippi, and as you'll hear, we'll soon be imprisoned for bearing witness to the gospel. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 16th chapter of Acts, beginning with the 16th verse, and this is being read from the Common English Bible. One day, when we were on the way to the place for prayer, we met a slave woman. She had a spirit that enabled her to predict the future. She made a lot of money for her owners through fortune-telling. She began following Paul and us, shouting, These people are servants of the Most High God. They are proclaiming a way of salvation to you. She did this for many days. This annoyed Paul so much that he finally turned to the Spirit and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. It left her at that very moment. Her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the officials in the city center. When her owners approached the legal authorities, they said, These people are causing an uproar in our city. They are Jews who promote customs that we Romans can't accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas, so the authorities ordered that they be stripped of their clothes and beaten with a rod. When Paul and Silas had been severely beaten, the authorities threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to secure them with great care. When he received these instructions, he threw them into the innermost cell and secured their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. All at once there was such a violent earthquake that it shook the prison's foundations. The doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer awoke and saw the open doors of the prison, he thought the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul shouted loudly, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for some lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them outside and asked, Honorable masters, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your entire household. They spoke to the Lord's They spoke the Lord's word to him and everyone else in his house. Right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer welcomed them and washed their wounds. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his home and gave them a meal. He was overjoyed because he and everyone in his household had come to believe in God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. 
There's a common tool that's used by writers, novelists, screenwriters, storytellers, and so on. An unlikely, unpredictable hero or villain, sometimes, will emerge at the opportune time for an effective plot twist, leaving the hearer of the story utterly surprised. Virtually every mystery novel is made with such an unexpected plot twist at the end when the person least likely is found to have been the villain all along. The unlikely hero or villain makes for good storytelling, but sometimes there's more to it than simply good storytelling. And friends, this is exactly what we see in our lesson today, where we meet two very unlikely witnesses to the gospel. So today we catch up with Paul and Silas in Philippi, where last week, uh, it's where we were last week in Philippi when we met faithful Lydia, who began a household church there. Now just a recap, Philippi was a strong Roman colony, a place that was loyal to the empire and to the religion of the emperor. Paul and Silas meet a slave woman who followed them around. She was gifted in what we understand or what we're told is fortune-telling. In Greek, the phrase is panuma pythona. Sounds like python, right? It's actually understood to be a snake-like spirit. This is an allusion to the high priestess pythona of Delphi, or as we better understand the role, the oracle of Delphi, a person that's known for her prophetic fortune-telling powers. Such gifts were a valued part of Roman culture. They were revered, even. But, of course, these gifts and this woman, this very person, have been exploited for monetary gain by this woman's owners through the savage institution of slavery. This fortune teller's spirit was taken by Paul and Silas. She is so taken by them that she kept following them around and told everyone she could that they are servants of the Most High God, that they offer a way to salvation. Throughout the Gospels, we see that evil spirits are able to see the work of the Almighty God before anyone else, and are therefore beckoned to call it out. Luke understands this spirit, the spirit of this woman, to be like these other evil spirits in the Gospels. She immediately recognizes the power of God at work in Paul and Silas and calls it out. She names them before anyone else can see what's going on through them. Now, Paul and Silas allow her to accompany them despite her outing them as servants of the Most High God. But eventually, as our text tells us, Paul became annoyed and ordered the fortune-telling spirit out of the woman and it left immediately. Now, this action upset the, women, the woman's owners because now she couldn't make them money as a fortune teller. So her owners had Paul and Silas brought before the Roman officials claiming that their Jewish non-Roman ways are now disturbing the city. So Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into prison. The jailer locks them up in the innermost part of the prison. While praying, while singing... An earthquake destroys the very foundation of the prison. And dramatically, we're told that all the prisoners' chains are broken. They can go free. Now, the jailer is understandably panicking. 
He's even about to take his own life when Paul says, don't do it, we're all here. The jailer, the same guy who just a few verses ago was beating and locking Paul and Silas up, has now fallen at their feet, pleading, what must he do now to be saved? Paul's instructions to the man are simple. Trust in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Then we get this beautiful image of the jailer cleaning the wounds of Paul and Silas, washing the scars he himself created. Then we see Paul baptizing the jailer and his entire household. In our story today, we see a mighty act of God rocking the foundation of the prison. We see the continued faithfulness of Paul and Silas, but we also have two new and also very unlikely witnesses the woman, and the Roman jailer. The unnamed slave woman is unlikely because she is a woman, because she is Roman, and because she's without status in the community. Yet she bears witness to the kingdom of God by proclaiming salvation through the message Paul and Silas bring. The jailer is surprising because he is also Roman, but in just a couple of verses... He goes from beating and shackling Paul and Silas to falling at their feet in faithfulness, washing their wounds, and being baptized. In their own ways, both the jailer and the slave woman proclaim the kingdom of God. While they are unlikely witnesses, at this point in the Bible, we really shouldn't be too surprised because the Bible itself is chock full of unlikely witnesses. To name a few, Jacob, as the younger son, was not expected to carry on the legacy of Isaac and Abraham, but still God called him. David, as the youngest brother and the boy who was only trusted to watch over the sheep, too, was called to be king, this unlikely youngest child. Jesus himself was an unlikely witness and that his birth to peasant uh, through his birth to peasant Judean parents in a barn stable. And as we explored just a couple weeks ago, Paul also is an unlikely witness, who at the beginning of the book of Acts as a Pharisee was among the chief persecutors of Christians and is now one of its best evangelists. It's a reminder, friends, that God doesn't call the most likely or the most qualified to proclaim the kingdom. More often, it's the least likely. It's the least expected who are called and are tasked with being the witnesses of God. And this is so much more than good storytelling. Because part of the message of these unlikely witnesses is in the very fact that they are unlikely. It shows the magnitude of God's love to claim us and call us for who we are, just as we are, just as God made us. However flawed, however imperfect we are, God has called each of us by name to be unlikely witnesses, to proclaim the gospel to the hurting world. If we look at our two unlikely witnesses one more time, we see something else being proclaimed here, being witnessed to here. Take one more look at all the characters in our lesson. If you take a step back and look from a 
airplane view, you'll see that in them we have Roman and Jew, male and female, slave and free, jailer and jailed, powerful and oppressed. We have all these dichotomies of human community at the time. These cultural boundaries, these walls, these barriers created by humans to separate themselves from those they'd rather not interact with, whose voices they'd rather not listen to. These distinctions which determines one's status in society. At the beginning of the story, we have all of these boundaries, but by the end, all of them are destroyed. Paul frees the slave woman of her spirit. God rocks the foundation of the prison, freeing not just Paul and Silas, but the jailer himself. This lesson embodies in story form what Paul will so boldly proclaim in his letter to the Galatians, that now there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is the oneness in God Christ prayed for in our gospel reading this morning. In Christ, God is destroying these human-created barriers that separate us from one another. In Christ, we have been reconciled with God. Because of this, we go out and reconcile with one another. 2,000 years later, there are still plenty of barriers to be broken. This weekend, with yet another tragic and horrific shooting, this time so close to home in Virginia Beach, we're reminded of the barriers of fear, hatred, and violence. These barriers that separate us from God and one another and also cause so much destruction and harm and sadness. As God's unlikely witnesses to the gospel, friends, we're called... We're called to participate in eliminating the barriers that hold us captive and separate us from our brothers and sisters in the world. As God's unlikely witnesses, we are called to proclaim that in Christ, there is no longer jock or Greek, there is no longer Democrat or Republican, there is no longer progressive or evangelical, there is no longer rich or poor. I know this one is tough. There is no longer hokey or wahoo. In Christ, we are all one. Soon, friends, we'll gather at our Lord's table, where our Savior stands as our host and reminds us that in him we are one, as we are fed and nourished by his body and blood, that we might go out, proclaim his good news, and break down these barriers between God and neighbor. So, friends, as we walk in the footsteps of Paul and Silas, and also in the footsteps of this woman and the jailer, may we go out and be God's unlikely witnesses. May we remember that God in Christ has freed us from the things that hold us back from God and neighbor. May this freedom, may this freedom empower us to seek to break down the barriers that separate us from each other. That with the help of God's Spirit who rocks the foundations of the world, to bring people together, that we may all be one in Christ Jesus, who reconciles us with God and one another. All authority and power 
and dominion be to the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord, now and in the age to come. Amen.